So hello and welcome to Intrepid Times. This is Nathan Thomas and I'm here speaking to my co-editor Jennifer Roberts. And this podcast takes uh, the occasion, I suppose, of our travel writing competition, Romance on the Road, which is live right now. And we want to speak a little bit about this competition, uh, experience from other competitions that we've won, uh, we've run rather, other people have won them. Oh, don't we all win? on the day and um, the insights that we've gained from that that might help people who've uh, maybe have a story that they're sitting on and want to submit it, but also the theme in general. So the theme was inspired in part because we get a lot of submissions anyway about people who have some sort of romantic encounter whilst traveling and that has motivated them and that can kind of lends itself to a nice story formula, but also a book, a book that I once scornfully wrote off as um, popular nonsense, but was wrong to do so. Um, a book called Eat, Pray, Love, which I'm sure many of our listeners and readers are very familiar with. Jen, you're the one who first, um, the first serious writer who I knew who caught me making a dismissive comment about this book and challenged me on that. So I wonder if you can talk a bit about your experience and perspe perspective. This was really interesting. I think one of the first it was within the first months, I think, of, you know, being part of Intrepid Times and speaking with you, you know, via email, you you made a comment, kind of an offhanded comment about Eat, Pray, Love, about how, you know, it wasn't really serious travel writing. You know, that was the, the connotation that was within that email. And I found myself, you know, questioning, like, it was very interesting to me because I had taken that book very seriously, um, both as a traveler and as a writer. Um, you know, it played not an insignificant role in inspiring me to start my own travels and helping me feel like that was possible as, you know, a single female, um, you know, just kind of getting started with life. Um, and so, yeah, hearing that comment was very surprising to me because I, you know, I knew you as a very serious travel writer and somebody who was very interested in the genre and defining the genre in certain ways. And I mean, I've just honestly spent years <laughs> thinking about this comment. Uh, and, you know, you and I have come back to that conversation a couple times over the years. And, yeah, I think, you know, the big question that, you know, we kept coming back to is, you know, this book is officially designated as a memoir. But, you know, is it also travel writing? And, you know, if it is, if we accept it as such, what does that mean for the way that we perceive the genre as a whole? And, you know, what can be done within the genre. But yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of our listeners and readers, as you said, are very familiar with this book. Um, I think that it's inspired many, many people. Um, and I think that it is hugely significant within a genre that has, you know, historically and, you know, maybe even up to now been pretty male dominated. Um, and I think that's why, the, you know, we feel the need to bring that book into this conversation today, not only because it's extremely related to the current writing competition we have open, which I think is going to be fascinating um, as we see the submissions that we get from that. Um, but, you know, also because I think that it helps us to shift our understanding of, you know, all the possibilities travel writing can offer. A hundred percent. And yeah, and I was doubly foolish to dismiss it, not only because I was missing out on a something that does have a lot of merit, but also I dismissed something entirely you know, based on reputation, um, based on perhaps context in which it had been referred to or used as a comparison. 
without having read it um, myself. And reading out of your comfort zone um, is something that we very much encourage at Intrepid Times. I think it's very good to do. I mean, you and I both always exchange recommendations. So it was when I was traveling uh, in Argentina last year, and I'd run out of reading material. And in my dingy Airbnb in the outskirts of Buenos Aires was one of those dismal little book exchanges where travelers leave behind books on a dusty bookshelf and there was Eat, Pray, Love. And I thought, well, I have to have to do this. Um, it started with a bang. I think the first line is um, she's wishing that Mario would kiss her. So there's a romance right from the start. But I, I have to admit, I was captivated. Um, there is a powerful kind of memoir and self-help story. There is real travel and quite interesting like observation weaved in there. And there are issues uh, with the book, but which I think deserve to be mentioned just in the context of how perhaps travel writing field has evolved even in the short time since that was published. But Jenna, I wonder, like, this is a book that's been important to you. What is it that you, and it was no some years ago that you probably first read it, but what is it about it that you most connected uh, with? And where does it live in your mind alongside the other more perhaps quote unquote literary or hard travel literature that you are, are familiar with? Oh, that's such an interesting question. So yeah, to put into context, I mean, I read this book, it was probably my last couple of years of university. So that was oof, 2014, 2015, perhaps, um, maybe even as far back as 2013. Um, you know, it was, it was crucial in helping me understand the possibilities of travel. I think that it, you know, to me, you know, as a young female getting ready to, you know, graduate university and kind of get started in the world, you know, I think that women more often than men are kind of primed to want to avoid loneliness. And I think that travel comes with a lot of loneliness and isolation, you know, at different times. You know, Elizabeth Gilbert tackles that question in the book of, you know, yes, travel can be very lonely. But I mean, for the first time, I saw somebody who was welcoming that kind of loneliness in order to grow as a person and find, you know, a new level of, you know, self-acceptance and self-love and happiness, um, you know, not constant happiness by any stretch of the imagination. If you've read the book, you know that. But there was this idea that, you know, yes, travel is scary and hard and transformational in ways that you can only understand if you travel. And, you know, growing up in a small Midwestern town, um, you know, having traveled around the U.S. some, but not, you know, extensively around the world, you know, that was enlightening. It was eye opening. It was, you know, this is what travel can do for you beyond just, you know, this place is really beautiful and interesting and, you know, the history is fascinating and that's why you should visit. There was something about, you know, opening the human experience in travel that, you know, had honestly escaped me, I think, until I read this book. And I definitely don't want to say, you know, I read this book and everything was understood and, you know, I understood every aspect of travel and what that would do. No. But it started a conversation, you know, with myself and, you know, with people I had met who had traveled and, you know, eventually the people that I would meet while traveling. Yeah. So 
then comparing that to, you know, other travel literature, you know, I was thinking about this a lot before, you know, we hopped on this podcast today. I think that this kind of travel writing, you know, if we want to designate it as such, is maybe not taken as seriously by some because it involves so much emotion. You know, there is, you know, a great deal of focus on what she's feeling and how that relates to where she travels and why she travels and how she travels. And I think that a lot of travel writing definitely, I mean, you can never, I think, fully ignore the human experience of emotion in any writing, you know, as a human, it's always going to be there. But I think that travel writing traditionally has tried to shy away from some of that. And I think Gilbert says, no, I mean, this was why I traveled. This informed everything about my travels. And that was something new that I hadn't seen a lot of in other travel writing. But I think that there are some really interesting comparisons to be made with the way that she treats this kind of travel or journey through emotion and the way that other travel writers speak about, you know, journeying or traveling through a place. And obviously Gilbert is also traveling through many places. You know, she goes to Italy, she goes to India, she goes to Indonesia. But at the same time, this is very much an emotional journey for her. Um, I was, I had this quote, let me bring up this quote. Cause I was, you know, I, it's been many years since I read this book. So I was kind of looking up quotes to refresh my memory. And I came across this one that I, you know, I, I did make me remember this part of the book. So she writes, deep grief sometimes is almost like a specific location, a coordinate on a map of time. When you're standing in that forest of sorrow, you cannot imagine that you could ever find your way to a better place. But if someone can assure you that they themselves have stood in that same place and now have moved on, sometimes this will bring hope. So, I mean, just listening to that, I mean, you hear her talking about maps and coordinates and being in this forest. I mean, this sounds like travel. And I think that is what is so striking to me is that, you know, if we're talking about travel writing, you know, as, you know, a first person piece of writing through a place or an experience, I mean, is a journey through emotion also travel writing? And yeah, I don't know. I'm going to pause to let you (laughs) let all that sink in for a second, Nathan, let you respond to any of that. I know after that. It's kind of a long tangent, um, but I hope that answered some of what you were asking me. Yeah, yeah, it does completely. And, and I, I love that quote that you said. And I, and I guess that the book is best appreciated, honestly, for what it is, which is a story about herself and her personal journey that happens to use travel as a, almost as a tool for that. And it's not, she goes to Italy and Indonesia and India and she meets people and learns about the place. But her ultimate goal was never to discover India or discover Italy. It was to achieve a personal goal through the discovery of that country or through the experience of that country. And I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think that's, I certainly don't think there's anything wrong with that uh, at all. I just think that's, you know, it's good that that is explicitly understood as her goal. And it, it so happens that the personal challenges that she was overcoming were ones that resonated with and continue to resonate with a lot of people, I, I think particularly women, for reasons you uh, outlined. And the way she narrates it, I mean, she has obviously, like, this book is a bestseller for a reason, like, obviously an extraordinarily talented and charming 
very you know warm familiar um writer you feel very close to her so you feel that perhaps you if you can relate to some of those problems you someone has as the quote said stood on that same piece of ground so that's compelling and th that sense then like you said originally it's marketed as a as a memoir not so much travel but travel is there so let's how in what way did you connect then to the travel part as well as like the permission to do so as a solo female but through the actual travel that she had like was this something that sticks to your mind i know it's been some years since you read it about where she went and what happened or the way that she goes about navigating the the literal worlds uh that she visits yeah i mean she talks a lot in the book about you know her own personal kind of like travel style where she doesn't really plan you know every day that she's in a place she just kind of lets things happen and you know opens herself up to you know whatever the place has to show her um, which i think is probably different from what a lot of travelers do but also what a lot of travel writers do um, i think that a lot of travel writers you know go to places um kind of understanding maybe what story or what kind of story they want to find and so they travel to you know very specific places you know and maybe interview very specific people um, that's not her experience. And she, I think that that was eye-opening to me because I am a planner. And, you know, I I thought that if I traveled to a place, you know, I would have to kind of plan every single aspect of this trip. And, I mean, she says, no, you can definitely just go and see what happens. And not in trip, at times we get, I mean, we encourage a lot of people to, you know, think back to past travel experiences and then write their stories from that. And I mean, these aren't stories that people like planned to write. They're just experiences that happened. And, you know, her being in these places, I mean, these are so Italy is, I think, you know, a pretty you know popular tourist destination. I think a lot of single female travelers would feel fairly comfortable traveling to Italy. You know, India, less so. Indonesia, maybe much less so. And, you know, her, I mean, in this trajectory, I think was probably very intentional where Italy was kind of, you know, air quotes, the easy destination. Um, India, I mean, you've been to India and, you, and you, you've told me how entirely overwhelming that country can be. And then, you know, Indonesia where, you know, Bali, which I believe is where she is and that part is, you know, fairly common destination. But she definitely goes off the beaten path. I mean, she's not just, you know, in Bali doing, you know, yoga retreats. And she goes and she finds, you know, this room kind of out in the middle of, you know, this field where she's kind of by herself and doing her own thing. And she makes sure that she meets these local people that she's really able to connect with. And, you know, we do see that in a lot of travel writing where, you know, people are meeting people that are outside of their comfort zone. And I think that's what stimulates a lot of travel writing. And so, you know, seeing her kind of on the ground in these places, talking to really interesting people and visiting places that, you know, maybe I wouldn't have considered visiting before, especially, you know, as a solo traveler, period. Um, I think that was a really interesting part of reading that book for me. One criticism that has been leveled against a book, and I think it's something that I did notice as going through and maybe it's only because the books what is it 20 odd years old now and there's a lot of so much travel writing under the bridge since then but I, I think even for its time there's a certain the way in which places 
particularly Italy, Bali, and in and also India with the ashram, the way that they're portrayed, they are narrated to fit a certain expectation. And she set out with a certain, I would say, very American, um, very North American perception of what Italy is like. You eat gelato and get hit on by handsome men. You know, a very American perception of what India is like. You go to an ashram, find nirvana, and your problems are solved. And again, also Bali too. Everyone is just sort of lives this cute rural life. And every one of those, perhaps prejudice is too strong of word, but every one of those almost like archetypal descriptions was was realized. So it was kind of like she set out with an idea in her head about what she was going to find there. She found it. Like end of story. Is that? accurate am i am i being unfair like what what do you think i think there is probably some truth in that um i think that she had yeah i think that that she had some expectations i don't know that her expectations were as entrenched as you know those criticisms are making them out to be i think that she had a lot of hope around what her travels would do for her and i think that you know, the lesson she got from a lot of these places was that, you know, it's not really the place, it's the people. You know, she found a kind of, you know, enlightenment. I mean, it didn't go so far as that in India. But I wouldn't say that was necessarily from her experience in, you know, being in the ashram and meditating for 12 hours a day or, you know, whatever she was doing. I mean, it was really these connections with other people that taught her how to be in those places. You know, are those experiences, you know, a little bit stereotypical, you know, traveling to an ashram in India? Yes. But did they feel typical at the time the book was written? I don't know. You know, I remember for me reading that, you know, as, you know, I was a teenager at the time, um, that felt like a very novel idea to, you know, to go to an ashram in the middle of India. I wonder if that feels like a stereotypical view of these places now, you know, maybe India in particular, Italy already had its reputation, obviously. But because, I mean, these ideas became so widespread from people reading these books. Um, and I don't know if that's the case. I'm just, you know, questioning this a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's possible the book was so popular that it kind of invented this, the very stereotype that I'm accusing it of belonging to. It's kind of like an, I remember in high school English, someone in the class said, oh, Shakespeare is so cliched because, you know, it was the original. I mean, I think um, comparing Elizabeth Gilbert to Shakespeare is probably going a little bit zealot like a convert. But yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. And I also, I guess what perhaps seems a little tired or worn out to someone who is, you know, literally a travel writing editor versus someone who is a teenager and hasn't yet had the opportunity to travel a lot. Um, is two completely different things. And I suppose this is an excellent, and I guess to you, I mean, to what extent was this to you like a kind of a gateway drug to the world of travel literature? I mean, it, I think it was the gateway drug. I mean, it was the book. Um, I hadn't read travel writing before this book. I mean, I think that, you know, where my life has landed me up to this point I mean, has been greatly influenced just by picking up that book and being like, oh, this is what travel 
and travel writing, you know, eventually I didn't understand travel writing as that at the time, but you know what this can be. And I don't know that I would have been inspired to travel in the same way had I not picked up that book. I can't say for sure, obviously. I mean, there were a lot of other factors that, you know, prompted me to travel. But this, I mean, this was the moment for me. Um, and to see to see the ways that travel can change you, which I think, I mean, is something we like to see in the stories that we publish as well, is like, how does travel change you? And I think that's a huge part of, you know, what Gilbert does is, you know, honing in on that. I mean, so this this was hugely influential and for me and f- just talking to, you know, people that I know, I mean, I think it was hugely influential for a lot of people, not only in prompting them to travel, but simply prompting them to, you know, make change in their life. I mean, this book, I think we need to look up the publication date, maybe, because um, I know you're saying around 20 years. So 2006. So it's going on 20 years old. So at that time, I mean, yes, I think more women were feeling more comfortable, you know, setting out on their own and doing these things. But I mean, what we think of today as, you know, this kind of open world for, you know, both women and men, I think that was not the same environment that she was writing this book in. I think this was a moment when a lot of women were like, oh, I don't have to stay in this unhappy situation and just live my life because that's what people expect me to do. I think this was a moment for a lot of people to say, you know, I can shirk expectation and kind of do what I need to do. And I think, you know, a lot of the ways that I've lived my life since reading that book have been, you know, not decided by that book, but certainly influenced around this conversation, I think, that it created more than anything. How do you see the influence of this book in the kind of stories that we see in Intrepid Times? I mean, I think a certain percentage of, a large percentage have nothing to do with it whatsoever, but I think there is a kind of a subgenre of travel writing that if it wasn't invented by this book, it was certainly amplified uh, by it. Is that something that you that you notice a lot? Yeah, and I'm actually curious to get your thoughts on this too, because I know, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, in our courses and, you know, with our communications with people who submit to us, you know, about this story is a little bit too in your head, it's too focused on the eye. And I wonder if some of that was like you said, amplified by this book where, you know, it's really focused on the personal journey side and, you know, what she's feeling alongside what she's doing and, you know, being in a certain place. I wonder if it has influenced travel writing in that way where people feel they have, you know, more permission to focus, you know, a little more on themselves in addition to the travel. And I'm curious, I think that that I think we actually had a conversation, you know, some maybe some years ago about I think that was kind of what was rubbing you the wrong way about this book was that it had kind of given people permission to, you know, put too much of themselves in their writing. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think people need permission to be self-obsessed. I think I think that's our our default setting for all of us. And and I think travel can break you out of that in quite a beautiful way. And I think I mean, there's there's a kind of it's almost become a cliche now, you know, travel, do you travel to find yourself or to to lose yourself? And maybe, maybe none of that. Maybe you travel just because you're interested in somewhere or something or just, you know, that vague sense of curiosity that pulls you beyond the horizon. I mean, I, I, I guess curiosity for a place, that open curiosity, which is not I, I like your use of the word hope. I, I thought that was really cool. And, and I guess 
maybe we could say that there are two great pure motivations for travel. One is hope and one is curiosity. And hope has some tint of expectation, doesn't it? You you want things to turn out a certain way. And there's probably something in yourself that is driving that. And then curiosity is you're a bit more of a blank slate. You're just like, what's over that horizon? That's cool. And I think adventure literature can would be a bit of both, right? Like you, you're going over the mountain to see what's there, but you really hope that you can make it and prove to everyone that you're so awesome. So I think a lot of the great narrative travel writing has elements of, of that. I think we see it can be that, and we see this with some, certainly not all, but with, with a large number of submissions that we have received through the years, which is that the self looms so large that almost nothing else can be seen. And it's like the writer is looking into a selfie stick with every step that they take. And I think that that's a step which is legitimate to go through. But in the same way that I think Eat, Pray, Love was one of the first travel books you read, but it was by no means the last, um, this kind of attitude can can get you out your front door and it can help you. But you're not going to get what you want until you stop wanting that hard or until you succumb a little bit to the to the moment. I mean, I, I don't want to sound too much like I'm having my own ashram experience. But I, I think that the idea that travel is by default a self-help experience or is by default only a journey is only worth undertaking if it has some personal transformation element um, is perhaps a lesson that was too well learned. That's interesting. Do you think that there can be a travel experience without a personal transformation of some kind? <laughs> Great question. Um, to some extent, no. I mean, gosh, even if I go for a little walk around my district in, the, in Poland where I am, uh, as we're having this conversation, I always feel like a different person at the end of that short walk than I, I did at the start because you, you work out a lot in your head. But I, I think that making the explicit or even implicit purpose of travel purely a personal one can be narrow. I think travel is perhaps the best way to achieve personal transformation. Travel properly with open eyes, genuine curiosity and the ability to get beyond yourself a little bit. I think nothing. there's nothing better. I don't think it's guaranteed to work. Um, anyone who's ever hung out with people from my part of the world, uh, New Zealand, Australia, in a youth hostel in Budapest knows that a uh, you can travel a long way and uh, come out none the wiser. Um, but if you travel and you allow yourself to be a little bit scared and be a little bit vulnerable, then I think it's basically impossible not to transform in some ways. But that doesn't necessarily mean that's the most important thing. So one thing you might transform is your, yourself on an emotional level, but you may also transform yourself on an intellectual level. You might understand a little bit more about how the various forces in the world come together because of a conversation you had with someone uh, in a bar somewhere or because of the way that you noticed the train stations changed from Western Europe to Eastern Europe. And that kind of made real in your mind something that previously had been only abstract to you. So 
there's the emotional, there's the intellectual, and there's also just the idea that it's a huge world. And being constantly thinking, like, how is this changing me at every step of the way might even be antithetical to that very purpose. I agree with you that if, you know, we travel with the purpose of changing, I don't think that's either conducive to actual transformation, and I don't think that's conducive to creating, you know, meaningful travel experiences, because I think that you'll find yourself disappointed simply through, you know, having expectations that are perhaps, you know, too high or just simply can't be realized because you don't really know what you're going to get. I think that what sometimes is the best way to go about it, which I think that, you know, tell me if you disagree with me, but I think going into travel, understanding that it will change you, but not having expectations around how it will do so is probably the best way to open yourself simply to having meaningful experiences that, you know, may or may not lead to, you know, wonderful travel stories, but have the possibility to do so. Yeah, and, and maybe that that dovetails, I think, quite nicely with that hope meets curiosity maxim that that I floated before, being open to the possibility that it will change you without necessarily having decided why. And then it's almost that cliche that you can't solve a problem from the same state of mind that created it. You have to get away before you can figure out where it is you actually want to go um, sometimes. So... We, you spoke about like how one thing we, we or I in particular, uh, I'm very sensitive about, which is that the word I uh, comes up often, much too often in travel writing submissions. And yet, of course, the personal is very powerful when used in a way that the way that Elizabeth Gilbert uses it in Eat, Pray, Love. And I suppose this is an opportunity to bring home something that for the kind of budding travel writer crowd, it's a good example of because when... Elizabeth Gilbert says I and refers to herself. Um, first of all, we know who that is because she's got this really like obvious voice, very clear personality. And second of all, we care because a huge amount of the start of the book, I mean, I think it kind of begins with the Italy story, but then there's a huge amount of like personal background. And that personal background is all about her horrible breakup with, I think it was her husband and the amount of personal turmoil that she was in, which forms the emotional core of the narrative so she really sets up a reason why we would be connected to her and care for her you see you really kind of buy in to her as a narrator so when she refers to herself which she still does reasonably sparingly though more than we would typically look for in a kind of standard narrative story you know who she's referring to now that's a challenging thing to pull off in a work of any length but um, it's one thing to do it over the course of like a novel sized book. It's another in a short form 1200 piece of writing of the links that, that we do. And I, I suppose the complete opposite of that would be something that I know we spoke about in some of the master classes on the travel writer transformation course is the the Hemingway iceberg theory, which is that you what you actually say is the writer is only the the tip and the reader if you do your job right the reader will infer the rest or at least feel the resonance that there's more going on than that you say and sometimes in the short form that less is more idea that being very sparing but hinting at depth below the surface without 
dredging it all up over and over again super explicitly that can be a harder to write but a lot more powerful for the reader when when done right yeah i'm thinking i mean i'm thinking about you know other travel writing that i've read and trying to you know place this idea where you know i recently read you know we were talking about this recently nathan i recently read a book that you recommended to me um constellations of the forest and you know i'm thinking about emotion in that book and how it plays because you know he talks a lot about loneliness in that book you know it's about this man who essentially goes to stay in his cabin in the middle of the russian taiga for six months um highly recommend really beautiful book but you know that book takes on you know the feeling of a kind of journal i mean it is a journal it's just, it is written as you know this is what i did today and this is how i felt i mean it is literally dated you know april 1st may 2nd um, the whole book follows this pattern. And I mean, Elizabeth Gilbert certainly doesn't do that. She's not saying, you know, what she's doing every day and how she's feeling, but there is this similar pattern of kind of noting down, you know, how things are changing both internally and externally and how those things reflect each other. And again, yes, that is much easier to do in longer form writing um, in, you know, 1200 word articles much more difficult. And so then how do you find a balance with, you know, yes, inserting the human experience while also not going overboard and figuring out just how much you need to give in order for the reader to feel interested both in the experience and the travel, but also in you as the writer, um, because you are the thing, you know, the object that is moving through the place or the experience. There, I mean, there is no story without that I. But yes, we've talked a lot about how that can be overused. And yeah, I don't know what your thoughts on that are, Nathan. Yeah, I'm not sure I entirely agree with there is no story without that I, because the story can be external to the narrator. It can be told from the narrator's perspective, but it could be the story of someone interesting you met. I mean, maybe that is what you meant, like that I, that perspective is what crystallizes the story uh, and delivers it to the reader and and eat pray love to its credit tells a lot of stories uh, as, as you mentioned it's about the people it's about other people it tells a lot of stories of other people particularly um i remember she helped the owner of a store uh in bali with buying by an apartment and she's quite sensitive to the stories of the people that she meets and that those little other stories told through the perspective of the narrator maybe one of those bite-sized ones becomes a nice travel story. I mean, I, th I think that just to get beyond yourself while still being yourself, but not only writing about yourself, writing as little about yourself as you can while still being yourself is something that I think for this writing competition, um, when the theme very much is going to ask people to look deep within themselves and speak about their personal experiences, I think the challenge there would be then be true and talk about why this is important to you find an angle into it which is beyond yourself and whether that's emphasizing a place that you were or someone you met or drawing a comparison with the backstory of of a place or you know making the personal journey mirror the physical journey there are a thousand different ways into it but if there's something that you can leap off of and and go beyond just that that what happened to you in that moment that can make a much bigger read and it can also be very exciting to write 
too, because you learn you learn a lot by doing that. Yeah, and I think the other factor to that is, you know, making sure that you the reader understands that this experience couldn't have happened, you know, outside of the travel. I mean, the travel has to be central, right? Um, I think in any travel writing, it has to be central. I mean, the percentage of how much you focus on the travel, I think, varies as we're seeing with Eat, Pray, Love. Um, I think, you know, if we measure percentages of, you know, how much he's talking about emotion versus, you know, being on a plane and walking through the city, um, it's probably significantly lower than, you know, other maybe, you know, air quotes, traditional travel writing. There is variety there and there's room to play. Um, but helping the reader understand that this experience could only be that experience and you can only find that connection through the medium of travel. Um, if you lose that, I think then you lose the travel story. I agree with that. And speaking of medium, um, what did you think of the associated blockbuster movie starring Julia Roberts? Oh, do we have to talk about it? Um, <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> um, was not a huge fan. I, well, I, I think I think that was a very interesting interpretation because, you know, there is a lot of emotion in the book. There's a lot of personal story, but it seems that there was not enough of a personal story, you know, for Hollywood. You know, they made the story of how she met, um, his name is escaping me right now, the person she meets in Indonesia, who eventually she does marry. The story of how they meet becomes very dramatic in the movie. Um, and it was not dramatic in the book. You know, I think it, they kind of like stumble into each other and they just kind of have a conversation and that's, you know, how it gets started. You know, in the movie it becomes, you know, he almost like runs her over while she's riding her bike. And so that dramatization, I think, actually took away from the really loveliness of the places that she's in and the travel and the change that she's experiencing, where, you know, it feels like there has to be some kind of grandiose moment in order for these changes to take place. And that isn't always the case. I mean, a lot of the transformation that she goes through come from, like, pretty, I don't want to say simple, but, you know, not overtly dramatic interactions. I think the book does a nice job of saying, you know, you can live in a way that feels very human and still transform. You don't need to have these Hollywood moments where, you know, somebody almost runs you over the car in order to realize your full potential and love and happiness. Have you seen the movie, Nathan? A clips of it, the, the movie I've not watched from start to finish. So I am learning my lesson and withholding judgment, but I, I'll, I'll tend to take your word for, for, for it. Yeah, I recommend the book um, and stick with the book. <laughs> my overall yeah, impression was that travel literature can challenge you a lot more than this book does. You can learn a lot more from other parts of the world through other books than this. But I felt good for having read it. I thought that had I found it when I was younger, earlier, I might have gotten a lot more from it than now. I thought that the writing was absolutely charming. She's very, very funny and very talented. And that you can learn a lot about people, about the narrator and about the people encountered through the way she handles that. So overall, I thought um, it was quite fun. Um, I'm glad that I, it happened to be in that Airbnb and that you primed me to overcome my prejudices uh, and pick it up and read it. I think it's had an enormous impact on the travel writing field. And while I hope that people will go beyond it like you did and use it as, uh, for want of a better word, a, a gateway drug into that whole wide field uh, of travel literature, and that it will get folks 
or get folks started, but whatever gets you out the door. Um, and if this does, then then brilliant. I'm, I'm very happy. Yeah, and I'm curious. I mean, I, I have a question for you just thinking about, you know, the way that travel writing has evolved over time. And, you know, I've just started, I literally just started yesterday reading um, another book that you recommended to me, uh, The Travel Writing Tribe by Tim Hannigan, I believe is his name. Correct me if I'm wrong. You know, he he starts out essentially saying, you know, is travel writing dead? And, you know, if it isn't, then, you know, what does it look like? And what is the future of travel writing uh, really going to, you know, look like in, in a few years time? Or how do we help it evolve so that it stays relevant? And I wonder if, you know, eat, pray, love type travel writing, you know, is not the complete answer if it informs the answer to how travel writing can change over time. Yeah, I, I think it will definitely play a role in informing that answer. I mean, we can't, all one needs to do is look at our submissions inbox and see how much this kind of travel as a means of self-discovery and self-improvement and self-actualization has taken hold. Um, and so I think that's fine. And I, I think that, yeah, this is the, a good springboard. It's a good angle into something. It is not the be all and end all, of course, um, but I don't think it would claim to be that uh, ever. So that's that's okay. I, I do think that there is some, I mean, just because the reason that it's so popular is itself something, is itself a signal, um, is itself something worth paying attention to. And the fact that it seems to play a very supportive role in getting people out the door and providing you use the word that permission for people to travel on their own terms um particularly so solo women to do so i think that's that's excellent i wonder what the next great travel book that really just explodes and captures the popular imagination will be i mean we live in a much more fractured media landscape even then in 2006 but you you kind of never really know what's around the corner yeah and I guess a follow-up to that is, you know, I mentioned very briefly when we started talking, and I, I mean, I don't think that you would disagree that, you know, travel writing, the travel writing genre and the travel writing space has been generally male-dominated. You know, is Eat, Pray, Love an attempt to bring a more, you know, or add a female perspective to a genre that for a long time, you know, largely ignored those voices? Yeah, I... I'll defer to your opinion on that. I will say just in the in the microcosm of the world that we see through Intrepid Times, I, I haven't done that, an analysis on this. I don't know what, if that would be a project worth doing. Probably not. But I, I get the feeling that we see a lot more submissions from women than from men. Do you have the same feeling? Yeah, I do. And I'm really interested in, you know, you know, if Intrepid Times had existed in you know, 2005, if that would have been the case. Uh -huh. uh, interesting. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Uh, obviously not one we can answer. The data is not there for the answer. Um, but just something interesting to consider, I think. Um, you know, the ways that, you know, these voices are coming onto the scene. And, you know, maybe it feels jarring and, you know, a little bit extreme because, you know, those perspectives, you know, weren't included as much for a very long time. And I think that there is, you know, a lot of possibility and transformation and enlightenment in you know the travel writing from male authors i think that they have a lot of really important things to say and this is certainly not to say that you know those voices should be ignored in any way shape or form um but i think that there is 
you know, a lot, there are a lot of pluses to having both sides enter the conversation and inform on what, you know, travel is and what it can be. I hear you loud and clear on that. And I'm excited that there is so much activity happening in this space. And I'd just like to make it very clear to all listeners that even if we grumble about a submission with too many eyes or, or something, we're, we're thrilled every time a submission hits the inbox. There's no such thing as too many and everyone is read and the effort is always appreciated even if we can't accommodate by any means every piece that we get. I mean, just having the courage to write, not only having the courage to travel, but then having the courage to write about it and then having the courage to send it in to editors. I mean, that's that's impressive and, and that's a win. So thank you for everyone who does that. And we hope to continue seeing many more. And um, you have, well, it depends how long we take to get this podcast uh, edited and published, but probably about two or three weeks left uh, before March 19, 2023 to get your entry in for Romance on the Road. Um, and we look forward to reading those uh, very soon as well. Yep. Thanks, everyone. This was a great conversation. Um, I hope you guys found some inspiration for your own uh, travel writing and all of this. Um, and yeah, just open yourself up to all the possibilities of what, you know, travel and your own writing can can be.